I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... There are several key elements in the financial secrecy system. One of them is disguised corporations. It is shell companies. Uh, where nobody knows who owns uh, that entity. We created more of them than anybody else. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, and our show today focuses on our guest, Raymond Baker. Raymond is an author of a book called Invisible Trillions, How Financial Secrecy is is Imperiling Capitalism and Democracy and Ways to Renew the Broken System. Well, obviously a controversial and thought-provoking title. He and I talk about how all these trillions of dollars are gathered. Is it all through corruption? Is it through companies trying to shield taxes? The answer is both. Where does this money go? Is it legally held places like Citibank? The answer is yes. And is it possible to open the gate floodgates and turn the high beams on this flow of money? Because guess what? It causes incredible challenges to our capitalist system and to democracy. Raymond Baker is a great spokesperson for the things we should all be thinking about way more. Here's our conversation. Raymond, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. So, Invisible Trillions, you know, when it starts with a T, you get everybody's attention. Used to be B for billion, but now Trillions is the new high watermark for lots of money that, 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 that matters. Tell us the aha moment in your mind that made you sit down and start this book, and when you started it, and how long it took. This has been growing in my thinking a long time. I wrote an earlier book called Capitalism's Achilles Heel. Um, we set up Um, uh, an entity to uh, address that problem. A lot of other organizations grew out of my first book. And we've sort of been um, um, plugging away at this for 15 years, trying to bring about um, greater integrity in economic operations, not making as much progress as we want. I finally decided to write my second book, elevating these issues to a higher level. Why the word invisible? Uh, is it invisible to traditional regular citizens out in the sidewalk, uh, invisible to the banking system, invisible to governments, all the above? Or is there an element of invisibility you would highlight? It's all the above. It's, it's the ability to uh, generate and move and shelter money um, in ways that cannot be seen by regulators, by central bankers, uh, uh, by government officials, uh, and so forth. It's, it's the ability to make money move and shelter and hide in ways that cannot be detected. Now, when you say imperiling capitalism and democracy, walk me through how invisible money does that. It does it primarily by driving inequality, economic inequality. When I graduated from Harvard Business School in 1960, the, um, uh, the ratio of executive pay to workers' pay was 20 to 1. Today, that ratio is more than 350 to 1. Um, illicit money, um, invisible trillions of dollars, have had some effect uh, on, on uh, increasing that growth. We're at a position today where the richest 1% of the world have almost as much wealth as the remaining 99% of the world. Wow. Almost. 
the, invis- the, the financial secrecy system has been a major driver um, in uh, economic inequality. Economic inequality undermines democracy. So we'll get to uh, new thing. I say new, semi-new things like like crypto. But let's go back, uh, at least in my perception, how things can be hidden. And the it seems like the brand that would pop to everybody's mind right away is the Swiss banking system and the secrecy surrounding the Swiss banking system. And the stories we've heard of, be it mafia chieftains or tribal chieftains or corporate chieftains, all hiding their money in these types of, albeit supposedly legitimate entities called Swiss banks. Am I off base that that entities like 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 that are the kind of the beginning of the secrecy of, of trillions of dollars? It's part of it. I wouldn't call it uh, um, uh, the beginning. The key element in uh, there are several key elements in the financial secrecy system. One of them is disguised corporations. Okay, that is shell companies. Yeah, uh, where nobody knows who owns uh, that entity. Do you know who created more shell companies than any other country in the world? No idea. The United States. All right. We're number one again. We're number one. We created more of them than anybody else. Now, we're trying to get a handle on that problem, and that is progressing a little bit. But there are around the world tens of millions of entities that function in the capitalist system, and nobody knows uh, who owns them. Um, another element um, in this system is the willingness of, uh, of banks, uh, whether they're American or British or Swiss or what have you, to accept what looks like really dirty money, money that is either criminal in origin or corrupt or, um, uh, uh, you know, we, we are willing to accept that kind of, of money far too readily. We have a provision in our U.S. laws that says to the banking system, if that thing that you're about to handle uh, looks like it's dirty, illegal money, then you're required to file a report to the federal authorities, a, a currency transaction report or a suspicious activities report. Do you know how many reports are filed by the U.S. banking system? No idea. 80,000 a day. Wow. Which means that the banking system is perfectly prepared to figure out how it can take in every dollar possible and just file a report back to right. Fenton. We're clean. Fenton we did Fenton. it. Yeah. yeah. We've done it. So the United States over the past uh, 20 years has become the biggest uh, receiver of illicit funds. Far bigger than Switzerland, UK, what have you. Wow. So we're number one again. Thank we're number that, one. Yeah, yeah, USA, USA, USA. That being said, are the banks just complying with what we as citizens and our representative regulators have asked of them? Or are there other regulations that should be in place or are in place that they're able to skirt? Uh, again, if if you if you were in charge of the federal government or maybe of the, I don't know, the FTC or SEC or whatever, are, are, are there are there rules in place you would start tomorrow, or are they, are they ignoring them? I guess I'm asking 17 questions at once, but I'm interested in sort of how we got here. It's, it's kind of all the above. Okay. Um, we are ignoring a lot of uh, the regulations that are in front of us, and uh, the regulations themselves are as weak as they can be. Um, we, um, in, my, in my first book, um, I, I made the analysis— 
um, th- that we like the dirty money. Yeah. In the United States, we need huge inflows of money from abroad to balance our trade deficits and our uh, uh, fiscal deficits. And so we receive every dollar. We find a way. Come on in. <clears throat> yeah. Come on in. We find a way of receiving just about every dollar um, uh, that can come into our system. Same thing is true in the U.K., same thing is true in a lot of other countries. As a consequence, let's go back to my roots in Africa years ago. You, a, you were where? You were in Nigeria, right? I was in right? Nigeria. Yeah. I lived there for 15 years, built a group of companies, and I still stay close uh, to Nigeria. I have, I have watched Nigeria completely Im- impoverished by the flow of money that has uh, uh, gone out of of that country. Much of it has come to the United States. Much of it has gone to the UK, to um, um, the UAE, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, and other places, to the extent that Africa as a whole has become, according to the best data that our organization can put together, Africa has become a net creditor to the rest of the world. What this means is that more money flows out than comes in. So more money is going illegally out than the total amount of foreign aid and foreign direct investment that comes in. Wow. This is ridiculous. Yeah. This is a ridiculous uh, situation uh, for Africa and other parts of uh, the developing world. Their money is here in our accounts. That's the voice of Raymond Baker here on What's Working in Washington. Raymond is our guest today. He's uh, the author of a couple of books, but the one we're talking about, perhaps most appropriately, is called Invisible Trillions, How Financial Secrecy is Imperiling Capitalism and Democracy and a Way to Renew Our Broken System. So this net creditor status of Africa, I assume that means that these are ill-gotten, dirty chunks of dough that go to a very select few at the top, corrupt few at the top, and they are parking it in other places around the world. Is that a fair assessment? That's exactly correct. Yeah. Parking it in um, in the case of Africa, in, most of it has gone to the UK, other parts of Europe, uh, but of late to Dubai, a lot of it has come to the United States. Yeah. Um, the if if we if we could expand beyond Africa for a minute, the, yeah. The biggest flows of illicit money over the past 10 to 15 years have come out of Russia and China. China is the biggest exporter of illicit money. Wow. Russia has been uh, on the heels of, of China for a long time. But we're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars that uh, have uh, poured out of, uh, of those two countries. They are the number one exporters of illicit gains at the present time. But, but in addition to those two countries, uh, we continue to have money flowing out of Africa, out of Latin America, out of other parts of Asia, and so forth. So I was going to touch on Latin America in a second, but before we leave that, let's go on Russia. I read, I think I made them in the Wall Street Journal, that that the there are rumors that Putin is worth $400 billion or more, that he is the tip of the top of this iceberg, I guess, or t- whatever the, the right analogy is. He's the Mac Daddy of corrupt capital gathering. Have you seen data upon that, or is he just another example to you? I have seen all sorts of data, and nobody really knows what is right. right. I said to a U.S. Um, um, intelligence official one time, 
um, that I had um, I was familiar with figures of Putin's wealth um, as much as forty billion dollars. The intelligence official laughed, <laughs> and I took that to mean that it's a great deal uh, yeah. more than that. Uh, uh, Putin is the alpha thief, yeah. um, and Thank everybody you. else uh, um, pays obeisance to uh, to him. Well, we're going to talk more about how this money is gathered, and I guess corruption is the key word when we continue our conversation. But again, that's the voice of Raymond Baker. Raymond is our guest today on What's Working in Washington. He's the author of Invisible Trillions, How Financial Secrecy is Imperiling Capitalism and Democracy and a Way to Renew Our Broken System. You'll hear some more reasons on how he's able to do that with our help after this. Every week on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. So thanks for listening. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. Many of our guests have come to us from others who say, Hey, if your show's about people who are really getting things done in the region, you should really be talking to dot, dot, dot. And we love bringing those new voices to our audience. We look forward to hearing from you. joined by Raymond Baker. Raymond is the author of Invisible Trillions, How Financial Secrecy is Imperiling Capitalism and Democracy and a Way to Renew Our Broken System. It's due out January 31st of this year. So you're a, uh, we're, we're here in D.C., the name of the show, What's Working in Washington. You are a D.C. native or what, what's your connection to the District of Columbia? My wife and I um, lived for many years in Africa um, vacationed uh, five straight summers in New York City okay. with the idea that we would move back and buy a brownstone and so forth. Um, after five straight summers in New York City, we decided, no, yeah. <laughs> that's not what we want to do. You're sad. Let's pick out someplace else along the East Coast. And we decided on Washington and bought a house in 74, moved, remodeled it around a collection of African art in 75 and moved in in 76. Wow. So getting to the book, first of all, great, great connection to D.C., um, a city we all care about so much, and a city, oddly, a city that is so clearly aligned with the conversation we're having about the book because uh, global regulation, particularly domestic regulation based here in D.C. with the Security Exchange Commission and a bunch of other entities, is hopefully going to address the challenges you represent in your book of invisible trillions. But as we touched on earlier, corruption seems to be the common theme that people in power get compensated for things they didn't do or compensated outside of a system that is able to be tracked. That's how giant stacks of money get gathered in the Nigerias of the world and then leave the nation to go to Swiss banks or American banks. So Latin America is often considered the poster child for corruption. And we've tried, we being collectively the human animal, 
have tried to fix corruption or address corruption, Mexico, wide variety of programs. Why do you think we've been unable to make a big dent in corruption? And it may sound like a naive question, but I'll ask it anyway. Corruption is the is one aspect of um, the motivation for the movement of uh, illicit money, but it's only one aspect of it. Okay. Um, more money. I I did a, a piece of research when I moved into the Brookings Institution as a guest scholar, um, beginning in 1997. I went to. Um, uh, 23 countries around the world and interviewed uh, 335 people with the idea that the biggest element of, of illicit financial flows was corruption. And I de- I'm defining corruption as money j- uh, stolen by corrupt government officials. Okay. That, that's what I call corruption. Yeah. That's the way I went into my research um, uh, across these countries in these interviews. I came out of that research realizing that of the three components of illicit money, corrupt, criminal, and commercial, the corrupt component is the smallest wow. of the three. The criminal component, uh, drug dealers and human traffickers and so forth is next. But the commercial component, our movement of illicit money in order to evade taxes, in order to get our money out of risky environments and so forth, the the commercial component is by far the largest of the three. Okay, so if you listed all three, I guess I would have. That's an interesting. That's an interesting play. I'm I'm kind of I'm wondering which one I would have said. I just assumed, as you did, walking in, corruption would be number one with a bullet. But now that I think about it, the amount of money spent on lawyers and accountants and other structures to avoid taxation for both companies and individuals shows that it's pretty important. It's probably a pretty big number. Massive. So uh, although semi-timely, our show can hopefully be be evergreen and people can be enjoying this in months and years to come. But there's a recent furor about the IRS here in the United States. How many agents we have? Are there enough agents to pursue the uber wealthy, the ultra wealthy that are extraordinarily sophisticated in hiding income or sheltering income. What's your sense of the IRS? Is it keeping up with all the issues that your book is about, or is it as is it as underfunded and understaffed as some would claim? It is as underfunded and understaffed, and this is the responsibility of both Republican and Democratic administrations. Okay. The IRS budget is a fraction of what it was as as a percentage of of GDP uh, some years ago. As you know, there are moves to increase uh, the funding of the IRS, and uh, the Republicans have announced that this is one of their major targets as they take control of the House. That won't get through the Senate, but but it. let's be clear. It is both Democratic and Republican administrations that have failed to keep the IRS's investigative capability up with the growth of the economy. So many of these shelter corporations that we started talking about, these shell corporations tend to have addresses like the Cayman Islands. But why places like that? How did that erupt? When our American lawyers and uh, European lawyers decided that um, uh, they needed accommodating uh, places that would overlook the flow of illegal money going through those. Wink nudge, as they say. We went there. And we got those countries to adopt the laws that we asked them to adopt 
Got it. So that we could make that entity a tax haven, make it a secrecy jurisdiction. There wasn't a single one of those that figured out how to do it themselves. Yeah. We went there and told them how to do it, in many cases writing the laws which they adopted that would facilitate financial secrecy. So um, not a shock and not a shock that it's in a place that's fun to visit. Uh, but let's go back to corruption's impact on wealth distribution, because I think in some of our early conversations, you're 1% versus the 99, so unbelievable imbalance in wealth agglomeration. When you got out of Harvard Business School X numbers of years ago, your ratio with the CEOs, this is an unfair question, but you're here. What are some ways you've seen governments, including ours here in the U.S., try to redistribute wealth or at least cap how the wealth concentration is continuing to accelerate? What we've done is to leave the financial secrecy system in place to enable the rich to get richer, while at the same time trying to provide um, um, accommodations to the middle class and the poor. And that ranges from Social Security to uh, health to canceling student debt, uh, canceling student debt, uh, those kinds of things. But what that what that does is to address the symptom of the problem, not the problem. Got it. The problem is the enormous increase of of wealth um, at the top, the growth of inequality. There are some people who think that inequality doesn't matter. The, the rich can get as rich as they want, provided there is some small improvement for the poor. The greatest example of that was the CARES Act passed at the beginning of uh, the Trump administration. Yeah. The CARES Act provided about – it was it was labeled a uh, um, um, uh, middle-class tax cut. Yeah. It provided about $600 uh, per person for the middle class. You know what it provided for the upper class? More than that, I bet. $50,000 uh, for the yeah, upper class. That would be more. That That's exactly the, uh, what's at the root of the system now. A lot of people think inequality doesn't matter. It can go through the roof so long as the poor have a little bit of increase along the way. Ultimately, that kind of thinking will defeat the democratic capitalist system. Well, let's take it there. You were in Nigeria, and I assume that you would argue that the similar pathway of rich people giving money to politicians to do what they want, which many argue happens here all the time. I've seen it. Um, that cycle is the one that's probably the hardest to snap because that's where all this energy of wealth accumulation at the highest level happens. Agreed? I agree. Yeah. Uh, Corruption remains a key part of the problem. It remains the part of the problem that we that we like to focus on. We like to claim it's those corrupt people over there yeah, them. Uh, that are at fault. I said to you earlier, I've never known a corrupt government official that had the slightest difficulty getting his illegal money into a Western bank account. Yeah. Um, we're, we're talking about a phenomenon that hurts – um, the poor in the middle class, not only in the developing countries, but in the United States and other uh, parts of the world as well. That's the voice of Raymond Baker. He's our guest here in What's Working in Washington. He's the he's the author of Invisible Trillions: How Financial uh, Rather How Financial Secrecy is Imperiling Capitalism and Democracy, and Ways to Renew a Broken System. I would argue that you can be extraordinarily depressing to talk to. And I mean that as a compliment, Raymond, 
because you're unveiling what you know has been hidden. Every now and then, though, it seems like there's some secrecy that's sort of or secrecy that's ripped apart. Like uh, uh, it wasn't what's his name in in Russia who, who did the. Uh, but sometimes people get access to files, some of the Swiss banks and stuff. And this is sort of a cause celebra for a few months. People are like, oh, I'm shocked. But there seems to be no traction from the exposing of these dark corners. What would it take besides exposing it to change it? The broad answer is political will, and there that's sort of a catch-all uh, answer. But it re- let me let me back up if I could uh, for a moment. Let's take the climate change issue. Okay. People understood the the threat of global warming for 30 years yeah. before it got into the global consciousness. Jimmy Carter said it. Yes. Finally, Al Gore, with his uh, speeches and uh, publications and films and so forth, d- drove the issue of, of global warming, climate change, into the popular consciousness. To the extent that it is now, it's now there. We're, yeah. we're all attuned um, uh, uh, to this problem. There needs to be something like that. Got it. Um, in terms of the uh, the financial secrecy system and how it is imperiling capitalism and democracy. I've 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 written this book because I don't think the democratic capitalist system can can succeed unless we curtail that reality. So we need an inconvenient truth for uh, for for this kind of thing. We, we have need an inconvenient truth. Um, Al Gore was able to bring his vice presidency to uh, yeah. um, uh, driving his issues. I would hope that there would be some greater driver of what I'm talking about. I concur. So I, I asked, we're, we're a short on time because we've, I've been fascinating chatting with you. Uh, I won't ask about crypto. I think people can just figure out uh, by listening to you and I discuss that crypto is probably part, part of the problem and not part of the solution. But I will finish with this, Raymond Baker. Um, we ask all of our guests if they ruled the world for a period of time, week, month, whatever, what's one thing they would start happening? What's one thing they would stop happening, either or or both? What do you think? I would certainly want to push the idea that capitalism has to operate with greater transparency and accountability. Got it. I think uh, I think a lot of people are looking at political discontent in the United States, in Brazil, uh, in other parts of the world, and they are attributing that discontent to social uh, grievances, whether it's it's immigration or race or gender or uh, sexual orientation. I don't happen to agree with that. I think the major driving force of our political discontent is economic inequality, and that's the issue that has to be solved. In order to solve that issue, Capitalism has to operate in a manner that is transparent and accountable. Great answer. Raymond Baker, our guest today here on What's Working in Washington. He's the author of uh, Invisible Trillions, How Financial Secrecy is Imperiling imperiling Capitalism and Democracy and a Way to Renew Our Broken System. Coming out a little bit later, January 31st of this year. Raymond, it's been great to have you in the studio. Thank you. My pleasure. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. 